It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's time to take up where we left off last week and continue the story of Christy Ring. Our two-part program looks at the life of the greatest hurler ever, as seen through the eyes of a number of people who should know and those who knew him and played beside him. Author Tim Horgan, Taoiseach Michal Martin, retired match commentator Michal Murrahertig, former Cork duel player Dennis Collin, and former Tipperary hurler and manager Babs Keating all rejoin us, as do others. So take your seats on the stand or terraces and welcome once again to Where the Road Takes Me. Born in Cloyne in East Cork to Nicholas and Mary Ring on October 30th, 1920, Christy Ring was the second youngest in a family of three boys and two girls. He played juvenile, minor and junior hurling with Cloyne. He won a county minor championship with St. Enders of Middleton in 1938 and a junior county championship with Cloyne in 1939. He joined Glen Rovers in Cork in 1941. It was a good year for the club, not alone getting a player of such calibre, but the club also won their eighth consecutive senior county championship. The question is often asked, when did Christie play his first full game with the Cork senior hurlers? Well, it was just a few weeks after that epic All-Ireland final between Cork and Kilkenny in 1939. Epic for the hurling and epic also for the weather. It was known as the Thunder and Lightning final. With time almost up, the sides were level, 2-6 to 3-3. And then, a Paddy Phelan 70 landed short because of the weight of the slitter from the rain. Jimmy Kelly gained possession in front of goal and scored the winning point, the victory to Kilkenny. Many spectators were unsure who had won because of poor visibility due to a wall of rain and darkness. Tim Horgan, author of Christy Ring, Hurling's Greatest, takes up the story. Christy played for the Cork Juniors after his minor days and uh, he um, was doing very, very well even though they didn't last too long against Waterford but um, was taken to Limerick to, to the Gaelic Rounds as a member of the panel against Limerick and it was a league match. He was a sub wearing the red jersey sitting next to um, Sean Og Murphy, the chairman in the uh, dugout and uh, Limerick were winning quite well so um, Sean Og said, look, uh, young fella, would you like to go on there for a while because was coming the match was nearly over so he sent Christy on to Jackie Power 
so who was to mark him and uh, Christy was looking at the goal, a ball going over the bar or maybe going wide and just as he was figuring out whether it was a score for Cork or not he got a belt of uh, Jackie's uh, Hurley and uh, as he told me I wasn't long hitting him back that was my introduction to senior hurling and um, we turned out to be great pals on the Munster team for 10 years we played together and uh, as Christy didn't know this of course but Jackie was one of the first down to the funeral in, in Cork afterwards and then when Cork were beaten in, in the All-Ireland Thunder and Lightning final Kilkenny came down to Cork to play a league match in uh, September or October whatever and uh, Christy was put on the team marking the, the best player they have Paddy Phelan who ended up on the stamp like, just like Christy himself and Ray Cummins and Jack Lynn all the top ones anyhow Christy got a goal and two points off Paddy Phelan and uh, Cork won that well as well that, that was the first match so that answers your question what was the first full match that Christy played Nora Newman you met in programme one last week Nora celebrated her 90th birthday recently she's the president of Glen Rovers Camogie Club Nora's family were very close to Christy Ring particularly her late brother Dave he'd go up to my brother who was a widower at the time and he couldn't drive and he was so kind one time my brother was involved in the North Infirmary in the patient and there was some match on and he was waiting patiently for Christy to come back from the match. Christy would tell him every puck of the ball, like, you know, to <laughs> yeah, be yeah, very yeah. interested. Yeah. So we were above and there was a few people visiting my brother, like, that's how you could sit around the beds. And Christy came in and after a while Christy turned to us all and he said, do you know, he said, Trog, but all to be in here and old crowding would be better for us if we are in trouble and even have his rest. And my friend says, okay. He said, no, no, no. So in the moment, signal went through between the two of them anyway. But we came out in the dual art family and Christy called me and the other people were all going their own way. And he said to me, Nora, he said, if you want to come back up to Dave, he said, because he said, I want to tell Dave the ins, ins and outs of the match. He wanted to know about it. <laughs> but he couldn't <laughs> tell him where we were all there. <laughs> so he got rid of them all. <laughs> he got rid of them all. <laughs> Yeah, it must have been wonderful, Nora, to travel to games with him, to travel to games with somebody of the calibre of Christie. Must have been. Yeah. yeah, must have been. Like, just think of it now. His memory is living on, on and on. I tell you, I said a few weeks ago when the club decided about the, with the permission of the family to honour him with, with the charity, and my great granddaughter, she's eight years of age, bless her, she came in and she said to me. Nan, she said, I'm getting a jersey of the best hurler ever. I said, are you? So she was all interested. So a few weeks after, she came in to me one day and she said, Nan, do you know who I met up at the training, she said. I said, no, love. She said, do you know Christy Ring that I have on my jersey? I said, yes. Mary Ring is his daughter. <laughs> Do you know, the yeah. ch- an eight-year-old. And isn't it nice to have somebody as young as that to get to know somebody like Christy who had passed on years yeah. and years before, Andy? Yeah, and, and Mary is great help. Mary helps both the academy. You know, she's a great help to them, you know, with the children. She's great patience with her. Mary was quite young. She was only a teenager when her father died. As you know, he did see Christy, but... He never saw Mary wearing the jersey.
The point has been made in the program about great players do not always make great managers, coaches or selectors. Michal Amurahertik believes that Christie was an excellent selector and Michal says that he was in the coalface to witness it. I judged it on this around that time. Well, for, since television came in, I used to broadcast the minor games on the television. And sometime then, I think to be uh, in the 70s, he was a selector for Cork. And I was asked when the minor game was over, would I get permission from one of the teams to sit in the dugout? You know, they'd, they'd like a report maybe from the ground. That's the time that was coming in. So I had the choice then of asking Cork, or Wexford, as it was the first year, uh, 76. Would they mind if I sat in with the subs and the selectors? They both said, you'd be welcome. I opted for Cork, principally because Christy Ring was one of the selectors. I was a bit like Jimmy Doyle, watching him going from side to side of the field. I was watching every move of him. He was wide awake all the time. And if he had an opinion, he wouldn't be slow in, in saying it to the others. He'd say, I know the weakness in such a place. And he did say at one occasion, and not one of you could see it. I'm switching X to there and Y to the other, and they'll both be gone. And he'd he'd be gone in a flash. He'd make the switch. With that mentality, I think he won two All-Irelands for Cork. He was a selector. And I say he won them with two switches he made in different years. One time he had a habit of getting out of the dugout, running like him, <laughs> thinking, coming back with an idea and laying it out. And he said, there's a weakness in the Wexford defence. And he didn't name him. He said, he's a very good player, but there's a weakness there if the right man is on him. I'm putting Jimmy Barry Murphy in there. And he didn't wait for a consensus or anything. He was gone. Jimmy was in there and before long the green flag was waving. Did it against Kilkenny in the final, the last of three in a row. They were behind. He went on this run down the side, back again. And he did say, and I know Johnny Crowley won't mind me saying it. He said, if we don't shift Johnny Crowley from centre-back, forget this all Ireland. Let Kilkenny have it, should they need it. And then he said, I'm switching him out to the wing. I'm switching Dennis Carlin in. And the two of them will play very well. And away he goes. He made the switch into the switch that won the game. With regards to the, the third final in that uh, three in a row, 76 to 78, Michal Amara said to me that he made one switch in that game that actually, as far as he was concerned, won the game for Cork. And that was he switched positions between you and Johnny Crowley. Do you remember that? I do. I do, actually. I do. I was left-side back and Johnny was centre-back. And I think it was maybe about 10 or 12 minutes to go and the extraordinary thing about it, I, I actually saw Christy Ring running under the Cusick stand, going up the sideline on his own and looking across and looking across. And the ball must have been in the other end because I actually saw it happening. And I was from the, I was over on the Hogan's end side playing left left back, but I saw it. Was, and next thing, I, I, his hand went out and he was calling me, bringing me across into the centre. And then he told me to stay centre back. Uh, Johnny went into my position at left half back. Now, I can't honestly say that Christy Ring made that switch on his own, John. Yeah. But I would I would have to think that that was a collective decision and probably Christy went out and uh, maybe because I was from the Glen or whatever, that he made the switch. It seemed like he made the switch on his own, but I'd have to think that it was a collective decision too by the other selectors. Even though it was Christy Ring. <laughs> Absolutely, even though it was Christy Ring. That's true, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe he probably suggested it and uh, yeah. they all agreed and then he ran and said, OK, and that was it. Former Cork Duel player Dennis Collin, who in that All-Ireland final of 1978 was winning his fifth All-Ireland senior medal and his fourth for hurling. The victory itself put the finishing touches to Cork's three in a row, 1976 to 1978. Dennis Collins' autobiography, Everything, has just been published, and, as the title suggests, you do not have to be a hurling fan to enjoy it, because it has got everything. Last edition of Where the Road Takes Me featured the life and times of Cork entertainer Billa O'Connell. From that programme, and included last week, was a story about the gorgeous quail Jack Doyle wishing to meet Christy Ring. As it happened, Christy Ring wished to meet Jack Doyle too. Another story from the Billa Christy Ring repertoire includes a priest, a dressing room, and a game against Tipperary. Christy Ring, he was, in other day, don't told us, given out to the cock team, they were playing Tipperary, and it was lashing rain apparently, and it, there was a priest stepping out the rain, and he could hear Christy Ring giving out to the lads at halftime, with hurlies hopping off the table, and sparks flying, and Ring speaking in divers tongues to the players, you know, and uh, when he was passing out, the priest said to him, my God, Christy, see, you didn't get those words in the New Testament? <laughs> and Ring says, well, Father, whoever wrote the New Testament, they weren't going out to play Tipperary. <laughs> What I remember about 78, say, Christy wasn't a talker in the dressing room. No, in the dugout before the matches, I got more stories out of him than, than most because he used to be nervous and talkative. But in the dressing room, it was his presence. I mean, it was inspirational. And he always wore his best suit and shirt and tie. And he'd stand at the door before we went out with a hurley in one hand and he'd hurt the hurley up and his other hand up. And he'd say, we're from Cork. I mean, if I did it, they'd be laughing at me. But when Christy Ring did it, I'm telling you, he had to hear us standing up in the back of our heads. The Thursday before we played Kilkenny, which was going for three in a row, was the one time I remember him speaking for half an hour to the team. And it was magic. I mean, you just could hear a pin drop. Uh, and that was the only time I remember him being loquacious. And uh, it, was, it was fascinating to hear him. Dr. Con Murphy, Cork's GAA doctor for over 40 years, now retired. And that brings part one in programme two to a close. The Christy Ring story, programme two, part two, continues after the break. More stories and more memories of a hurling maestro, Cork's greatest and the greatest hurler ever. Two programmes on Where the Road Takes Me, both celebrating a hurling maestro, Cork's greatest and the greatest hurler ever. 
Christy Ring, born in Cloyne a few days over 100 years ago on October 30th, 1920. 41 years after his death, his legendary status shines as brightly as ever. This week on Where the Road Takes Me, we bring the Christy Ring story to a close. It's part two in Programme 2. Well, the present Taoiseach's late father, Paddy Martin, who was affectionately known as The Champ, enjoyed a very close friendship with Christy Ring. C103's GAA reporter Finbar McCarthy has been speaking to Michal Martin about that friendship and the force of nature that was Christy Ring. Men died so young because he had so much to offer. What he done on the field, he replicated that with his contribution to the Glen and to Cork off the field. And even to this day, he's still remembered with fondness. Absolutely, I think he must have been an extraordinary tactician as well. You know, there's, there's a great story that Ray Cummins tells about one of those games against Wexford when there was lots of pep talking going on before the game, and Ring had stayed silent in the dressing room. But then at the end, he said, "I just want to tell you one thing. I've been analysing the referee all year, and he said the referee will allow you go the extra few yards." Now, if you watch the video of that All Ireland, I think Ray Cummins does about ten yards before he gets the goal that's an analyst that's somebody who's really a deep thinker and uh, he was way ahead of his time obviously in terms of the sort of mental preparation he brought to the game uh, and as you say as a coach and a selector he contributed even more after his playing days were, were, were over he died a very young in relative terms in the modern era and you know we've all learned in the modern era that you, you know there's greater prevention now than there would have been then but of course he was a very competitive person playing the squash and so on like that and he, he, he just I'd say was that type of that uh, just full time all the time respect his opponents be they at club level or into county level had for him you know we'll never be able to quantify it we want never and I think it, it represented a tremendous sense of brotherhood if you like or call it what you like I mean the Tipperary Hullers had great time for him that marvellous scene when the Wexford players lift him off uh, it was a 56 was it All-Ireland final I mean I still watch that and I say what an extraordinary act of sportsmanship but also respect um, and affection for um, what they regarded as the outstanding hurler of their generation and um, and and I think it does percolate right down to the present day. That type of sportsmanship should always be there. That, that mutual respect across county div- the boundaries and divides once the game is over. And I think that still is there. And that, that type of approach is one that we always have to, I think, inculcate among the younger generations. And now from legends in Cork to legends in Tipperary. Former Tipperary hurler and manager Babs Keating was a little on the young side to have played against Christy Ring. But his playing days did coincide with Christy's tenure as Cork selector. They both worked in the same job, although for different companies, and Bab says they enjoyed a good friendship and met up regularly. I had one great night with him. I was lucky enough to get her of the year in 71, and uh, Christy got Hall of Fame, and Jack Lynch was the T-shirt. Frank O'Farrell got football. So basically, Cork, a Cork celebration because Pat Edry got horse racing, and Pat's father came from around Kindallery, and uh, Frank O'Farrell had, was half a Corkman as well, so it was... It was really Cork and the rest that night in the in, in the it was in the Gresham actually. With a great great occasion. Christy and myself however obviously at the same table. So um I had many there was probably one of the lucky ones because if you look at the, the, the those of us that are left, like there's only Jimmy Finn left of the forty nine, fifty and fifty one squad. Like unlike today, John, like there was no kind of association or, or, or gatherings like you have all stars and trips like you've had the last couple of years with a mixture of cow players from every county. That didn't exist in those days. Looking up, we were past holders golf and Christy didn't play golf, no. 
Jim Young was one of the early captains and Christy came to a few dinners we had when we played the ball. Mallow was a great a great venue for us and still is. And um, Christy has come to those occasions. But like at the end of the day, the worst of all like for for the man to, to pass away at fifty nine years of age like was a tragedy. I, re- I remember reading where you once said that one of the, the, the great lessons you learned in the life of Hurling came from Christy Ring about somebody who says, well, I had a great game today. I scored 1-8 or 1-9 or 2-9. And Christy would say, well, what about the ones you missed? That, Is that, that true? That, I tell you, John, having worked for SO and I was sent to many seminars to make me a better salesman. And uh, I learned more in two minutes from Christy Ring about perfection that was a day in, in, in that court paper, remember, 68 was one of my great days in a Morsel final. I marked that gentleman, a lovely gentleman, Tom Fields, who I met recently. I think he was from Cantork. But I, I had one of my great days, and I had lunch with Christie the following day or two. And he was a selector on that court team that day. And the head of the paper the following day was Keating, Mackey and Ring in one goal. But to tell you about the way he viewed the game, and he probably saw... He did see something that I missed that he wouldn't have missed. Perhaps he said, if Tip were beaten by a point, he said, would you have accepted the responsibility yesterday? It was the best lesson I was ever taught in perfection about no matter how good you are, there's always that little bit extra. And it applies to everybody, John. And did you use that afterwards in your all coaching role? Yeah, yeah. All the time, all the time. There was a few lessons I was taught. Another one was with Tony Wall one day travelling. And my first big match with Tipperary was a league final in 64. And I had a good game. But I picked up a ball in the half-back line and let fly and dribbled out wide. And Tony said to me, we're terrible training. He said, Pals, he said, you're a good young hurler now, he said. But nobody wearing that Tipperary jersey has a right to hit a ball unless he's a reason for hitting it. That's something in, in so far as that, that the team I played with. Now, that was my first adventure into the big stuff in the league final in 64. But the team I played with, with McLaughlin and Neil and McKenna and Jimmy and, and, and those for his tier one roach in the middle of the field, they demanded that nobody wastes the ball. Imagine having had the opportunity and being able to say that you travelled in the back of a car to matches driven by Christy Ring. The amount of stories you would have heard and being able to relate them afterwards but also during an era when kids weren't included in adult conversation. Christy Ring bucked the trend here and included everybody, regardless of age. Mary O'Brien, now Mary Sheehan, was one of those lucky people. Her father was a close friend of Christie's. Like, I remember Mary obviously subsequently played with us and captained us to two All-Ireland club finals. But at the time, her first cousins had a little team in Ballinlock, which is where they lived, really, Ballin Temple, Ballinlock area. And I remember we played a Camogie match up the Manfield, and he was at the match. Now, this would have been maybe, it would have been an under-18 Camogie match in the late 70s, but you can imagine now. There was little interest even from parents at that time in the matches. And he was there, and it, it was just that he came to the match. You no, know, Mary wasn't even playing, as far as I know. She was too young, but he was still coming to the match. I think he just, was his interest, like once there was a ball, and particularly Hurley involved, he was there. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, like, is she ever going to play with us? And he caught me by the arm, and he said, don't you worry, she'll play with the Glen yet. And she did, obviously. But he had a way of kind of, he had these piercing blue eyes, is my memory of him, is those eyes. And he'd kind of stare at you. And if you said something and he'd grab you by the arm, he'd go, you're right, you know? It was as if like the light bulb went on. He went, you're right. And like, he had massive hands. I remember somebody saying that when he was speaking to you, he'd be prodding you. 
you know. Oh yeah, you've got a pose like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know? And he kind of he, he I don't think he realised he was doing it. It was just his kind of he was bringing his point home to you, and he kind of dig you like. And like I remember the, the last match we went to with him the Sunday before he died. Like we thought nothing of it because this was going to go on forever in in our heads. But it was um, the man to the Hearty Cup match in Buttevant, and of course we were there. We were always early because he wasn't. He, he could have been a racing driver, I'd say, in the previous existence because, he, as I said, he was never one to sit in a traffic jam and he was a fantastic driver. He could drive with one hand, you know, he was brilliant. And we didn't have a car, so we were enthralled with this. But we went to the match and before the match, the teams were warming up and obviously not to the same extent as they do now. And he went down to the wire. He was watching, because we were watching the man because there would have been a lot of Glenovers players playing with him. But he was watching St. Coleman and he went down to the wire and he called, I think it's a brother O'Donnell, no, I don't want to say the wrong name. He called him over and he said, the man are going to beat you by four goals. Before the match started, now he told him, this is the trainer of the opposite team. And I can't remember the exact score, but was in and around that. You know, he had this way, like even the team warming up, he was able to size up their flaws or, or no, you know, and, and, and say that. And it, that's a rare thing that I think somebody would be able to make that prediction and for it to be true. Amazing. So, and, you know, and that was the last time we saw him because he dropped us home and sure he collapsed on the Friday, like an, a monumental loss to everybody in Ireland and in, in Cork. But I think it was kind of about two and a half years after my own mother died and for my father in particular and for everybody in Glen Rovers, like it was just the shock and the horror. I mean, if somebody's ill, as you know, the thought crosses your mind that maybe something, maybe they won't recover. But like this was a man to us in the prime of his life. No complaints that we knew of. Super healthy, super fit. Yeah, you know, playing squash, brilliant squash, like anything at all. I'd say the man could have turned his hand or his feet to anything because he would have given it his all. He gave 200% and I suppose being a genius, that's the problem. You're maybe a hard taskmaster and sometimes you don't realise why somebody else can't do what you can do. Christy was a very religious man and attended Mass regularly at St. Augustine's when he lived close by. Tim Horgan is author of the book Christy Ring, Hurling's Greatest, and relates a beautiful story about Christy and a valuable gift he received from an unknown priest. He went into the dressing room in Croke Park at one stage, at one of the finals, the Arabia Cup finals, and an old priest came in to the dressing room. He got permission to come go in, and he went over to Christy Ring, and he said... Christy, I'm delighted to meet you. You have given me endless joy by the quality of your hurling. As a token of an appreciation, please accept this valuable fountain pen that I got from Cardinal Cushing. Thanks again for your great performances. May God bless you. And off he went through the smoke and the banter. And Christy had no idea who he was. Nobody knew him from Cork. But it, it was a great gesture 
You asked me about the St. Augustine's uh, side of things. Christy used to go to Mass around the corner in St. Augustine's at 7.30 every morning. And um, he got very friendly with the Augustinian priests because he, he was a shy country boy who settled into the city very well because they loved so, her, so much hurling. And Father Pat Moran um, said he became great friends with the priests here and particularly a Tipperary man, Father Dennis Redmond. They had endless conversations about hurling. Father Redmond believed that Christie gave valuable information which he duly fed to his friends in Tipperary. But Christie knew this, of course, and he never let on. There was no fear of Christie giving away any technical tactic from Cork. Noel Lynham is president of Glen Rovers GAA Club. He played alongside Christie at the Glen and also with St. Nick's. Needless to say, he knew him very well. The sound quality in this particular piece is a little distorted, but you will have no problem in hearing Noel agree that Christie was one unique hurler and man. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, he played 27 years in the Cock County Championship with Glen Rovers. 27 years. That's a fantastic record. And to be voted Hurler of the Year at the age of 38. Exactly, yes. That's it. You played with him, did you? I did, yeah. Yeah. I did. Tell me what it was like. Fantastic, actually. He was was a very quiet man regularly. You know, I'm sure we meet him often in the street now. But on the field, he was a different man altogether, like, you know. He actually, what he wanted to do, win. That's all. When he went out in the field, all he wanted to do was win. Not at all cost, no, I, I beg to say and a great inspiration to other players as well, Completely, I would Completely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he helped everybody. And your older brother then, Jimmy, played with Christie again on numerous... Oh, uh, gee, Jimmy, yeah. he was 95 only last week there. He'd know him better than anyone. He played with St. Nick's as well, did he? He did, yeah. he did indeed, yeah. yeah. And he played with Cork, holding a football also. Christie's preparation then and his commitment to club and county, his will to win and his skill, he was a little bit like the Roy Keane of hurling. Mind you, some people will say that Roy Keane was like the Christie ring of soccer. That's exactly what he was like as regards his preparation, Noel. Oh, completely. He used to always have the hold in the car, and like even when he driving trucks, he'd be pulling into side lanes and practicing. He was a phenomenal, really. And to play for such an age that he did, and to be nominated hurler of the year at the age of thirty-eight, I think you wouldn't see that happening now, of course. Oh no, 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 yeah. no, no, no! I mean, and to think that he he had eighteen railway cup medals. I mean, I, I went to railway cup medals, and there'd be forty to fifty thousand there. There's not fifty people going to them now. Moreover, they were going to see Christie Ring for the county championships. What would be your most abiding memory of him, Noel? Well, the the cock played Limerick in the Munster Championship below in Tullis. Uh, they were they were both. And there was a three goals behind and there was time wasn't it was ebbing along and he got three goals within about a couple of minutes and they went on and beat Limerick the same day that was some individual performance oh, yeah. marvellous yeah. marvellous and did, did he score was it 6-8 against Wexford at some stage in a, in a league game I think it was that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Noel Lynham, president of Glen Rovers GAA Club bringing part two in programme two to a close coming up after the break the concluding part and an emotional time for our contributors, as they all remember Christie's sudden and untimely death. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Christy Ring's sudden and untimely death near the School of Commerce on Morrison's Island in Cork on Friday afternoon, the 2nd of March, 1979, shocked the nation, but none more so, and obviously, than his family. When you're famous, the best hurdler in the land, you're blessed with charisma, and you're respected equally so by your teammates and your opponents, it's quite understandable that the public tend to take ownership of you, take you to their hearts, and grieve at your passing. When American President John F. Kennedy was assassinated on November 22, 1963, the people of Ireland who had taken him to their hearts as well were grieving. To this day, everybody of that era can tell you where they were exactly when news of his death broke. It would be the exact same with Christy Ring. I have asked some of the contributors to this program to reflect on where they were when news of Christy's death broke. 41 years later, it is easy to detect the emotion in their voices when recalling that day. Tim Horgan is author of the book, Christy Ring, Harling's Greatest. beginning to weep now actually to, to, uh, yes I uh, didn't know but the amazing thing was he was selected as a judge for the Munster Sports Star Award you see mm-hmm. by some company anyway and uh, he was very late coming to the first meeting to pick the, whoever would be a good uh, subject for it. and uh, Christy was, uh, was out training the Cork team at that stage and he came to the Imperial Hotel where we were gathered and uh, he sat down. I apologised for being late because he was just at the training. And they were going through the uh, subjects anyway, rugby and soccer. And then they came to hurling. And, oh, we'd have to have hurling uh, as well. Chris said, we will not. When Tipperary come down the park now, if they beat us in June, we should look right Egypt's. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the Monday, Friday, he, he, he was dead. 
But what you just said, the Terry Kellys came back by train that day and the station, they all got out and there was dead silence. You know, it was just, just like Kennedy. And the funeral then, Tim, was the amount of people would relate back to the amount of people that were at Terence McSweeney's funeral. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah. The amazing thing is that he was born at the same week, not the same week, you know, from Monday to Friday, but from Wednesday to um, to Wednesday. He was born and uh, Terence McSweeney was lying in state in the City Hall, having died in Brixton, and uh, Kevin Barry was hanged on Monday, and Christie was in the middle of it all. <laughs> not that he knew, but he was very much uh, a nationalist. For Dr. Con Murphy, Cork's GAA doctor for over 40 years, Christie's death was an enormous jolt in life. Remember, Dr. Con had told us in a previous programme how he believed he had the best seat in the land, sitting next to Christie Ring in the Cork dugout. Like everybody else on that Friday afternoon, this was something which he found was almost impossible to take on board. It was. I mean, I can remember that Friday afternoon, and I remember... Dennis Collin was the first fellow I rang because a few weeks before that, myself and Christy went in to visit him in hospital and there was a worry about his health at the time. And Christy was putting holy water on him and he was actually crying. And that was the last time I saw him. I remember that day I said to Christy, what do you think of our chances of four in a row? And he said, something always goes wrong. I thought how true that was. When you ask retired match commentator Michal O'Murra-Hertig such a question, it rarely comes in short answer format. There's always a beautiful story attached, told as only he can. And no exception on this occasion. The last time I met him, it was a strange sort of an occasion. It was New Year's Eve on the year before he died. New Year's Eve. That means the last day of January. And I was going back to Radio Nagayas to, to, to do something. I know it was dark at the time, but it could still be early to be dark, you know, at that time of year. And I saw this car parked on the side of the road. The lights were on inside, and I stopped. I said, now, these, and they said, the cork registration. I said, they're lost. They don't know what's, where to turn. Is it right or left here? I thought they'd be studying a map, map or something. Got out of my car, went over to the window, and it was Christy ringing his wife. And they were eating sandwiches. And they didn't debate to be lost or anything. And he said, I'm over here now. I brought young Christy over for a week in the Gleister before the school's open. That's why he was there, before the schools opened to have, because Christy himself had a great uh, belief in the Irish language at that time, and he spent times down in South Kerry when he had nothing else to do, learning a bit of Irish. He intended to learn more of it, but he brought Christy back for a week in the world. So then, uh, I know it was a frosty night, the weather was bad, it was dry, but there was frost, and I know there'd be heavy frost on what we call the county bounds, where you cross from Kerry into Cork. And I said, no, I think he should stay here. Anyone in Dingle or anywhere would be willing to keep in. I'll sort everything out and have the day going back tomorrow. Oh, no, 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 says Christy. We have a habit in the Glen on New Year's morning. We take the young lads out for a puck around. And he said, I have arranged with them to be down in the field at 10 o'clock on New Year's morning and we'll be poking around. There was no way he was going to stay in Dingle. He was going to be there the next morning. Finally, Michal, it goes without saying that, like everybody, you were shocked at the suddenness of his death at such a young age and very saddened, obviously, too. It was indeed, and I went down to the um, down to the wake and the funeral and the, uh, the amount of people and 
people would show you going to a match where he used to sit. Whatever car that they had at the time or whoever had it, it was still going around. They'd show you he used to sit there now. Tony Shockness, he'd be sitting there. And of course, with the passing years, you know, to different people, but everything about him. And and I met, to the while later, I met, uh, you know, several other players and they were all saying, well, there, there was there was nobody like and Roy Keane, I, I met Roy a few times, but I met his father. And um, I said to the father one day, did Roy ever play hurling? He'd make a great hurler, I said, you know, with the build of him and the attitude he has and everything. He never played it, but he saw the greatest hurler that ever lived. Who was that, I said? There was only one, Christy Ring. And when he died, I took the two lads up to his home. He said, you were there the same night. I took them up there to show them Christy Ring. And for the rest of their lives, they could say, we saw Christy Ring. But they saw him in the coffin. But it was a good idea to bring them up, you know. So people spoke about him. He was long statue when people were talking about him. They were still talking about him. His last game, 1966 in Limbury. That was a long time from 1937. It goes without saying that everybody was shocked when hearing of Christie's sudden death. But what made it more traumatic was why. Why did somebody who never smoked or drank, who was as strong as a powerhouse, who played his hurling at the very top end, who played squash regularly, how could somebody who did all the right things suffer a fatal cardiac arrest? The question also applies to a lot of young sports people who have suffered a similar fate. The death that had everybody asking the same question again was that of Cormac McAnallen, the young Tyrone footballer who died suddenly in 2004 at the age of 24. To get some answers, I put those questions to Sharif Sultan. He's a professor of vascular surgery and he's based in Galway. John, that's a very good question that requires a lot of steps to answer. So let's go back to the basis of the question. We know that exercise is one of the most powerful tools for improving health overall. Everybody knows that. It improves the cardiovascular risk factor, including decreasing weight, blood pressure. In fact, it allows the insulin to operate better so the patient doesn't develop diabetes. So everybody knows that. We know that any small amount of exercise allows you to reduce your risk of heart attack and sudden death compared to any sedentary life. However, what nobody noticed is the level of exercise that can produce any harm on the heart. That's what we're talking about. So you could find a guy who's fit and healthy and suddenly get a cardiac arrest or sudden cardiac arrest on the pitch and they get the uh, defibrillator try to get him back. So what's going on and what this, what is happening? Is it a genetic? Is it um, a problem that we know about? There's a lot of focus on what we usually call electrophysiology or the electricity of the heart. What they found that high intensity training will lead to an increase in the cardiac output and increase in the size of the heart chamber. You know that there's four heart chambers and sometimes this heart starts to becoming bigger and bigger. And if the guys have a genetic predisposition to such a problem, the heart becoming bigger, the right more than the left. And when this happened, and it's well-known fact in uh, Italy, and they have published a lot in it, and they found that, in fact, it happened in one in 5,000 young athletics. They developed what you usually call it arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, and nobody's allowed to sign in any soccer team in Italy without this being excluded. So what happened that the heart starts 
rather than have a very good muscle, it replaces with a fibro fat infiltration, which is basically fat rather than muscle. When this happens, there is no electricity around this area. So the heart starts sending abnormal pulses, and that's what usually happens. You may remember in last week's program, Babs Keating spoke about Christie's strength and the strength required to drive a large truck when power steering wasn't an option. During my time as a bus driver with CIE, I often drove a double-decker bus with 80 people on board when the power steering had failed. It would literally pull the heart from you. So imagine what it was like doing this on a permanent basis when power steering had not yet become the norm on heavy goods vehicles. Okay, so let's say that he's driving a a 50-ton lorry without a power steering. In order to turn it around right to left, the amount of energy required over there is horrendous. Now, this guy sitting in, doing that, and then while doing that, he hit his chest while turning around. Or he had previously um, done a a two-hour squash and ruptured a small plaque in his arteries. So there is a precipitating factor that we are not aware of. Moreover, currently now, they have done a big post-mortem for a lot of basketball uh, players in the United States and find something called aortic dissection. And it happened for this group above the age of 35 that they told, fit, they don't have any problem at all, but suddenly part of the aorta cut into pieces and caused aortic dissection, and it goes to the coronary cause cardiac tamponade, and the patient dies immediately. And there's no way you're going to survive, except you need a catastrophic center next to you to save your life with big surgery. This is happening, but we are talking about something happening almost, almost about 41 um, years ago. And we don't know exactly what was happening the day before uh, or two days before and was his physical fitness. In spite of the guy was fit 100%, but fitness in the 70s is completely different than fitness today. So in the 70s, if you are 58, you are 58. Today, if you are 58, you are 30 years of age. 50 is the new 30, but in the 70s, 50 was 50. It's a big difference, and that's why we cannot compare what happened in the 70s for what's happening today. And nice touch, and just to give you an indication again as to the calibre of the man, naming a bridge in Cork after him, and it must have been very emotional and, and very, very good for Glen Rovers carrying the Sean Og Murphy Cup across that bridge back in 2015. Yeah, that was a seminal moment for the, for the, for the club, definitely, uh, for Glen. Extraordinary that the bridge is on the north side and to named after him, and it was a bridge that we used to cross over to go back to Blackpool and so that was a wonderful a wonderful um, occasion I have to say now and um, I was at the appointment one for his wife and uh, Christine Mary at the time I suppose but at the same time it was um, it was uh, delightful that it happened Finally this is always bandied about but how true uh, when you refer to Christy Ring how true that is that's very true. Um, I know there are some marvellous hurlers, individual hurlers, and there always will be, as Christy said himself, um, the best of hurlers aren't just playing now, but um, they have to come in the future. And of course, they're always great hurlers. But the length of time that he played in an era when it was extremely difficult, everything was difficult, travelling and food and uh, and the level of pitches weren't as good as they are now. So, and the hurlies were different, the ball was different, everything was different, but he certainly transcended, I would say he transcended all eras of, of the game of hurling. 
when he was such a strong, he was so strong, you know, we were shell-shocked. Nora Newman, president of Glen Rover's Camogie Club, and before that, dual player Dennis Carlin. My thanks to everybody who took part, and a special word of thanks to Mary Newman for her help. I hope you enjoyed our two-part programme paying tribute to Christy Ring. These five words almost belong to him. Niva Alehade Arish, and you can put your hat on that. Doc Martin was in sound, and thank you for sharing a piece of your Sunday with me. Until Sunday evening next at 7, from myself, John Green, make your week a safe and enjoyable one. Bye for now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.